here we've got a great, great passage. And, you know, it's funny, as I uh, thought about this passage ahead of time, I just, you know, the first two verses are just so great, right? Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord keeps a city, the watchman wakes in vain. And, I, you know, those are just such great words and so encouraging. And I was, I, I you know, I, I have referred to them many times. I've pointed people to those passages. I've been encouraged myself by them. And what I realized, though, this past week is, you know, I've actually never taught on this. So um, how, do you, how do you put a sermon together around these words? And so that was a little bit of a challenge, but I hope that I succeeded and that you're blessed and encouraged through the word today. So we're looking at, I mean, the topic is really kind of about prosperity in the best sense of the word, you know, spiritually prospering, uh, being provided for and taken care of by the Lord. And it's also about security and, you know, being secure in God's faithfulness and his protection and, and those kinds of things. So we're, we're going to focus in on that. But as we come to this psalm, now remember, as most of the psalms that we looked at have been psalms of David, right? And then we had the one psalm, Psalm 90, that was a psalm of Moses. And now this psalm is, it's either a psalm of Solomon, in other words, Solomon is the author, or possibly it is a psalm for Solomon. Um, you know, there, there's the heading in the, in the Hebrew manuscripts, uh, and some read of and some read for. So, if it was written, let's say, for Solomon, then it was perhaps a word of encouragement from his father David, reminding him of the reality that God was with him and would keep his promise to prosper, secure, and bless him. And so we could see that being the case. I mean, Solomon was, after all, the one who built the Lord's house, right? He was the one who was given uh, the, the commission by God himself to, to build the house. So unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. So maybe it was David writing again to encourage him. If, on the other hand, it was written by Solomon, then it is the same message based on his own life experience of God's faithfulness to his people. Either way, the message for us is the same. Whether David wrote it to Solomon or Solomon wrote it to this audience and every other audience that has ever considered the passage um, the message is essentially that true prosperity, security, and personal blessing do not come from working and worrying oneself to death, but by following and trusting in the Lord. Timothy Keller in his magnificent devotional, The Songs of Jesus, which is a little devotional, 365 days through the Psalms, he, he wrote this on this Psalm. 
it's, it's very brief. He said, prosperity and security are not ultimately your accomplishments, but God's gifts. So overwork, worry, and strain are foolish and wrong. So that's what we want to consider. So unless the Lord build the house. Now, as I said, um, this could, could have been a reference to the temple. Uh, the temple was oftentimes called the house of the Lord. But the Hebrew word is you know, broad in the sense that it would include uh, a home as well. So it doesn't have to be the temple. It could just simply be unless the Lord build the home or unless the Lord build your home. We, all of us, I would imagine, we want the Lord to build the house. I want the Lord to build uh, my home. I want the Lord to build the home of my children. Um, I want the Lord to build this home, our home, as the church. And so I want to think for a moment just about building our homes on the Lord. Uh, building our, our personal homes and lives on the Lord. And there are just three components that, that are essential to having a house that's built by the Lord. Three components, simple things, things we know, but things that it's always good to be reminded of. Number one, the word of God. The, the word of God. Our, our, our lives, our homes uh, are to be built upon the word of God. And of course, that means that we are meditating on God's word. We are allowing it to impact our lives. We are uh, communicating it to our families, to our children. We are longing to see that word uh, capture their hearts and as I think about this, I think of having um, in our homes, it's just a, a place where the word it naturally flows from us. It's, it's not this regimented kind of a thing where we force people to you know, sit down and have your Bible reading time. And if you don't, I'm going to put you on restriction or I'm going to, you know, punish you in some way or, or something like that. Well-meaning parents, um, I think probably myself included, we have done stuff like that over the years. And this is counterproductive. This doesn't really help. Uh, you know, if a child is, is forced to read their Bible and, you know, sort of made to read it as, uh, you know, some kind of a severe type of a disciplinary thing, this this is going to create in them a resentment toward God's word. So we don't want to do that. No, we want the, the word of God to just fill our lives, fill our homes in such a way that it's enjoyable, that it is, um, it's natural. It's, it's just there. It's just part of the conversation. We're talking about God's word. It's like Moses or the Lord described it to Moses in um, Deuteronomy chapter six, that classic passage there where the Lord says to Moses to teach the people that you're to take this word and you're to 
bind it on your hand and put it before your eyes and you're to speak about it when you wake up in the morning and you're to talk about it uh, before you go to bed at night and while you're sitting around the dinner table, you're to converse over it. And again, not in a, in a regimented way like the Pharisees ended up doing because they, they took that and they, they took it and rigidly applied it. So they had these things called phylacteries. Maybe you remember reading about phylacteries in the Bible. Jesus speaks of the Pharisees who... Uh, they put on their phylacteries. Well, what that was, it was a little leather pouch that they had made that they had stuck scripture in and then they, they bound it around their hand and they bound it around their head. You can go to Israel today and you will find ultra-Orthodox Jews who are walking around with these little leather uh, pouches right on their forehead or on their hand. And this is their way of fulfilling Deuteronomy chapter six. God said to bind it on your hand and, and put it before your eyes. And so we're doing that. Jesus never did that. The apostles never did that. The Pharisees did do it though. And so they had this rigid approach to God's word that turned them into self-righteous, legalistic, really miserable people. And we never wanna become that. But I think at times in our ignorance and in our misguided zeal, we probably have been that. But that's not what we're talking about. So we're talking about a house that the Lord builds is a house where the word of God just has, it's, it's just there. It's just part of life. And the word of God, of course, we're talking about the Bible, right? But, you know, we're also talking about things that are connected to the Bible, Stories and could you know could be books, could be novels, could be um, even these days could be films, could be just just things that that bring our attention to the Word of God. Just having a home where where God's Word uh, has has a, a a dominant place. Secondly, prayer. Prayer. And I'm going to put praise together with it uh, that, that our homes would be houses of prayer. That we would just, prayer would be um, second nature. We, we would just, whenever something arises, we would just go to prayer. Or whenever we think of some good thing that God has done, we just immediately go to praise. To just giving him things, to glorifying him. You know, I shared this, um, of course, you know, this message is, was taped also on Friday for people who are watching online right now. Uh, but I was, I was telling the, a quick story about Friday. Before I came over, Cheryl is in um, school and she was doing her class online and they were telling us a horrible story about a little boy who uh, became infected with um, staph, staph infection that turned to septus that led, two-year-old led to amputation of his legs. And I was just like an absolutely horrible story. And as the, the person was sharing the story, um, and this is Cheryl, this is just the way she always is, but she just, you know, just burst out in prayer, just beginning to talk to the Lord about this situation and that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Where, again, it's not all about some formality. 
it's it's not about this now say your prayers kind of a duty type of an approach but it's just a thing where we know naturally we know intuitively that we just go to the lord with these things uh there there was a man many years ago who became the head of the china inland mission after uh the founder hudson taylor had passed off the scene and his name was uh well he went by de host all of these guys in the 1800s they they you know dl moody and ch spurgeon Nobody wanted to use their first or middle name for whatever reason. They just used their initials. So D.E. Host, um, he became the, you know, the, the director of China Inland Mission. And I remember reading his story years ago. Cheryl and I both read it. But one of the things that was so fascinating about him is he was one of those kinds of guys who would just be in the middle of a conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, he would just start praying. And a lot of times it would take people, you know, it would catch them off guard because they're, they're talking to him. And then the next thing, he's talking, he's talking, and they're like, wait, is he talking to me? What's going on here? And then suddenly they realize, oh, my goodness, he's talking to God. But he just would, uh, and I remember one incident where he's having a conversation, and they're talking about something to do with the mission, and he's pouring a cup of tea for this person, hands him his cup of tea, he's pouring his cup of tea, and then he just starts talking to the Lord about the situation. And you know, that's, that's the kind of thing where prayer is, it's, again, it's just second nature. It is, it's this relational thing where we feel, we feel that we have the complete freedom and total access. We're gonna, just, we're gonna just come right to the Lord right now. And what I'm saying is when we have a house that's just filled with the word in a very natural sense, and when our lives are marked by prayer in a very natural sense, this is the way that the Lord builds the house. And then the third thing, and like I said, you can include praise in with the prayer. But the third thing is grace. You know, the house the Lord builds is a house that's filled with the grace of God. And this is one of the things that I learned later in life, honestly. And I, I look back on my parenting, on my uh, years, you know, of raising our children when they were in the home. And, uh, you know, I mean, we had a wonderful experience as a family and all, all of that. And we have a, a wonderful, tight relationship in our family today. But I look back and I think of how... Uh, I so often lacked grace as the father, as the parent, and sometimes even as the husband. Um, but you know, that, that lack of grace that just was, was not a good, healthy representation of, of who Jesus is or what he's like. And again, grace is that that sense that love is the dominant thing and forgiveness is always there and we're not going to dwell on the, you know, the failures and things. We're, we're just going to move on in the grace of God. And when you build your house on these three simple things, uh, you're not laboring in vain. 
because the Lord is building your house because he is, that that's what he's about. He's the God of grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And, you know, there's a lot of people today, uh, kind of, you know, a little bit of a younger generation, maybe the millennial age group. Now, millennials are like, I, I think the oldest millennial is 39 to 29. And then you get, you know, they've got all these labels, you know, then you've got the next is Gen Z. But then, uh, you know, the millennials above them, you've got the Gen X people. And then people my age are the baby boomers, you know, all of these uh, tags, they're just ways of designating different <laughs> age groups of people. But um, there's, there's a lot of people in the sort of millennial age group that grew up in Christian homes, but are today not walking with the Lord. And they have a lot of resentment, and they have a lot of bitterness, and they're they don't like the church, and um, it, there, there's a fair number of voices out there like that. Now, obviously, at the end of the day, it is a, a problem in their own hearts between them and God that needs to be sorted out. But oftentimes they will say, well, I grew up in a Christian home, and it was just all about rules, and there was no love, and it was everything was bad and everything was wrong and all I learned about is everything that we're against and I never heard anything that we're for. And although that can be exaggerated, there is some truth to it. And I think we need to beware that there's some truth to it. And so we need to recognize that, well, that, that way of trying to pass on the faith doesn't work that well. And so we need to be wise and, and go back and reevaluate. And I think if we go back and reevaluate and we take these things just as I laid them out here and we ask ourselves, is this what our, is this what our home was like? We might say, no, I don't think it was. Okay, then we go back to our kids and say, you know what? I want to just apologize for the way we did things. I want to apologize. I've done this. I've mentioned this before. I've apologized to my kids a number of times for some of the crazy things that I was all concerned about back then that today I realized how um, just foolish it was. So sometimes we need to do that. But if you're younger and you're building your house today, you want the Lord to build your house, build it around these things. The word of God, praise and prayer, and the grace of God. Now, that takes us to the second issue here, and the second issue is one of security. Unless the Lord guards the city, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, here we're talking about security, and security, we can think of that in all different area, kinds of areas, right? We can think of uh, the issue of financial security, um, which I think is hinted at here uh, by the next verse that we'll get to in a moment. But then there's, um, you know, you might think of national security. I mean, we all want to be secure, right? We want to be protected. We want to know that we're safe. Uh, and then there's the, the personal security. And here, the context obviously is talking about a city that is secure, 
that's safe from attack, from enemies. And so we're reminded, unless the Lord guard the city, the watchman wakes in vain. So the Lord is the one who needs to guard the city. The Lord is the one who will guard the city. The Lord is the one that we want to trust to guard the city. Now, personal story here. Um, I'm a kind of a security nut in some ways. Um, in, in as much as I'm, I'm the one that always makes sure the door's locked, the windows are locked, you know, that the house is secure. Um, I don't want to end up having to fight off a burglar in the middle of the night. So I'm going to take the extra few minutes to go around and just make sure, uh, you know, everything is safe and secure as much as I can. So that's just how I am. And I've always been that way. Um, Cheryl is maybe the polar opposite of me on that. Um, she, I don't know if it, the thought just never crosses her mind, but Apparently it doesn't because uh, I'm the one who always ends up having to lock things. But years and years ago, uh, I was traveling and I traveled a lot over the years. And there were times, you know, where I would go and be gone for maybe sometimes a week or two or maybe even three weeks. And Cheryl would be at home with the kids. And um, of course, when I was leaving, I was always concerned like something was going to get left open and something was going to happen. And I wanted to do my best to make sure that didn't happen. So I would, I would get my older kids and just say, hey, okay, when I'm gone, um, Char, you know, make sure the house is locked up. And, you know, I would give them all the instructions and things like that. And, you know, mom doesn't always remember to do that. So I'm trusting and depending on you to do it. Okay, okay, dad, I got, I got it. And then, you know, I would go off whatever, wherever. And then like, a, you know, a week later or, or something, I would just call home to check on everything, see how everything was. How, how you doing? How's, how's things? How's, uh, you know, whatever. Dad, mom left the garage door open all night. She didn't even close it. I'm like, I told you, this was my great fear. Now, I have to confess that in recent times, I've left the garage door open all night. <laughs> I could have swear I closed it. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, you open your you know, your door into your garage and there the sun shining through. You're like, what, what happened? Who came and opened my garage this morning? But here's the good news. The good news is the Lord keeps the house. The Lord keeps the city. And unless the Lord keeps the city, and I can't tell you how many times where, you know, I've missed it. I didn't really secure it as well as I should have, or, you know, it's been left open or whatever. And this passage has come to mind so many times. And so the Lord is the one. He, he's our protection, our security, our prosperity. These things come from him. And then the next part of the verse says this. It is vain to rise up early to sit or stay up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Now, this second part of verse two is a little bit, um, evidently in the Hebrew, it's a little bit hard to, to really translate. And if you, 
have, say, an NIV, or if you have uh, um, an NASB, if you, if you have a different version other than the King James, New King James, it, this passage is going to read a little bit differently just because of the difficulty of the, um, of the Hebrew language here. But I personally, out of all of the different renderings, I like this one the best. And I think that this is really getting at what is being said here because it fits the context. What is he saying here? Well, I think he's talking about He's talking about the, the way of the, the world or the way of the person who doesn't trust God for their prosperity and their security. So to rise up early and to stay up late, I think he's talking about the person who um, overworks themselves. He's talking about the person who is not trusting the Lord for their prosperity, but instead, but instead they are... Uh, trusting themselves. They've got to do it. Remember that quote from Tim Keller. He said, prosperity and security are not ultimately your, your accomplishment, but God's gifts. So overwork, he says, is foolish and wrong. Now, the Bible, of course, encourages us to work hard, but within reason. And the Bible would not support us working ourselves to death in order to keep up with the Joneses or whoever your neighbor might be that you really wish you had that car or you really wish your house was like that or you really wish you could go on a vacation like they went on or whatever. And so many people do this. And of course, in where we live here in beautiful Orange County, California, um, there's a lot of affluence in parts of our county. There are a lot of uh, people who do this very thing. They are working themselves to death because they've got to live up to some kind of, a, of an image that they think um, is going to make them acceptable or they're going to feel better about themselves, whatever the case might be. He, he says here, the writer says that it's vain to do this. It's vain to do this. So it's, it's the idea of overwork. Secondly, he speaks of eating the bread of sorrows. Now, eating the bread of sorrows, the idea is feeding yourself on um, these, these things. I think the, the picture here is really uh, one of, uh, it's describing anxiety. Anxiety is like eating the bread of sorrows. Anxiety is being, it's when you're overwhelmed by fear and worry. And so the picture is, it is vain to work and worry yourself to death. And people are doing it all the time. People are working themselves to death all the time, trying to get ahead trying to attain that position. And then they, they literally work themselves to death. And some people are worrying themselves to death. And what does it say here? It says it is vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, to always be filled with anxiety about, you know, it's like this is your food. Your food is, is everything you're worried about. 
the reminder, he gives his beloved sleep. You see, the call of the psalm is to entrust everything to the Lord. Entrust your, your house, your home, your family, your future, your, your, all of those things. Entrust them to the Lord. Entrust your finances. Entrust your security. All of that. That's, that's the call. Entrust all of that to the Lord. And then take a nap. Get some rest. I mean, seriously, how many people stay up all night worrying about things they really don't have any power over? And it's not like I've never done this before. I certainly have done this at times. We all do it at times. But this psalm is reminding us of the futility of it. You see, that's the word vanity means uh, it's, it's a waste of time is what it means. It's, it's, it's futile to do it. It doesn't help. It doesn't change anything. And, and remember, Jesus gave us a lesson like this himself. He said, why do you worry about your life? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat? Why do you worry about what you're going to wear? Why do you worry about uh, <coughs> the roof over your head? He said, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. Now, and then Jesus even said, now the unbelievers, those that don't have a heavenly father, they, they worry about these things. That's understandable. But the point that Jesus was making is it doesn't make any sense for us to worry about it because our father knows what we need before we ask him. Therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. That's God's promise to us. All these things will be provided for us. Now, let's bring it right down to the moment. There's a lot of fear in the air right now. A lot of fear in the air. What's the future hold? Many people are wondering. How are we going to make it? What if I lose my job, or, or maybe I lost my job? What if we l lose our, our uh, home? And these are fears, and, and they're not unfounded entirely. I mean, th these are realities. We are living in some challenging times. But what we have to remember is the Lord is building the house. If we've committed ourselves to him, if we've dedicated our lives to to being the, the servants of God. We are the children of God and we have a father in heaven who knows what we need. And so we can and we ought to. It's wrong not to trust him. A lot of fear in the air. There's a lot of anxiety. You know, there's a lot of anxiety. I'm gonna say this. It might be Offensive to some, but there's a lot of anxiety among conservatives and among many Christians at the possibility that Joe Biden will be the new president. I mean, people are freaking out. And people are saying things like, if that's going to be the case, our border will not be secure now. Terrorism will come back with a vengeance. The economy's going to tank. Uh, religious freedom is going to be taken away from us. Who's keeping the city? Is President Trump keeping the city? Or is the Lord keeping the city? 
I hope the Lord is. I mean, I hope it's not a, a man. And if we think it's a man, then God help us. The Lord is keeping the city. And we are the people of God. We have to put our trust in this. And I, quite honestly, I'm, I'm concerned about the reaction of people. Now, listen, if, uh, you know, there's all kinds of accusations flying around that, you know, there was voter fraud and that this, uh, you know, election's been hijacked and all of that. And if that's true, that needs to be dealt with, obviously. Nobody wants to live in a country where uh, you have these kinds of uh, fraudulent elections. That country is not gonna last, if that's the case. So, so if that's the case, then it needs to be exposed and, and dealt with. But if that's not the case, and the person that you know, a lot of people wanted to win doesn't win, and I'm talking about Christian people, I mean, we have to stop and ask ourselves, wait, wh where was our trust in the first place? I mean, did we subtly, and maybe not even intentionally, but did we put a, a human being in the place of God somehow? Do, did we maybe engage in some uh, form of idolatry because, you know, this was the man that was going to really make things good for the church. Now, the president did say at a certain point on a number of occasions, he's done more for the church than anybody in the, ever. I beg to differ. <laughs> he, he has not done more for the church. But some Christians have bought into this. No, it's not true. Of course, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. He's God. We're his people. The earth is his and everything in it. And he rules over the nations. And he sets up kings and he takes them down. And he does all of this to fulfill his ultimate purpose of establishing his kingdom. Cheryl was telling me this morning when I was saying, come on, get ready, we gotta go. I'm reading my Bible she was reading Daniel 7. She said, Daniel 7, you know, it's like, it's like a vacation spot, your favorite vacation spot. You're just there at Daniel 7. I don't want to leave it. It's like being at a restaurant and eating all the, you know, my favorite meal. I don't, don't try to pull me away from this. You know what Daniel 7's about? Go home and read it. It's great. <laughs> it will remind you of everything I'm talking about. It's about the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and all of the people of the world He's given dominion over them, and he will reign forever. That's what it's about, and that's what our hope is in. So right now, everyone needs to take a deep breath and remember that no politician or candidate or party was ever our hope. Our hope is in the Lord. And so let's not sit up late worrying and fretting about the future Remember, he gives his beloved sleep. And let's remember this too. The church has work to do. You know, the church should be on the offensive, not backpedaling. We should be on the offensive. We're, we're taking ground for the kingdom. We, we, have, we have prayer. 
We have the proclamation of the word. We have the opportunity to live out the gospel in our surroundings. And you know, like the report we got from uh, Jordan and Nikki today, and I was happened to be out here yesterday, 1,700 families came through to pick up food. And out of those 1,700, 400 asked for specifically for prayer. And this is a, you know, we're partnering with this group. Uh, it's not, it's not necessary, like we have a partnership with uh, Saddleback Church and it's an entirely, you know, Saddleback's Christians, we're Christians, it's, it's a Christian event. Well, we're partnering with um, other groups for the distribution we did yesterday that aren't overtly Christian groups. And so, where, where we're just naturally going to pray for everybody, we're going to try to hand them a Bible, we're going to tell them the gospel. In this case, it's a little bit different, but 400 families asked for prayer. And I think it was 25 or so people actually prayed to receive Jesus. So that, that's taking the initiative. That's getting, you know, let, let's keep going. Let, let's see what God wants to do. And so remember... The Lord is building the house. The Lord is guarding the city. And so he gives his beloved sleep. Let's just put things in God's hands. And let's pray. And again, you know, we do what we can do. But there, there comes a point. And I find myself sometimes, you know, I'm so stressing out over things. And then I stop and just think, what, what can I do about it? <laughs> Nothing. I can't do anything about it. But God can and so, Lord, I'm casting this care upon you. Now, final thought. If, going back to where I started with the author of the psalm, and let's just say that Solomon did write this. If Solomon wrote this psalm, perhaps he wrote it from his own experience. Remember, Solomon had a season away from the Lord. Remember that? Solomon actually tried to do life without God for a while. As ironic as it seems, he did. And could it be that having tried to do that, this is what he concluded? It's, it's vain Unless the Lord builds a house, it's vain unless the Lord keeps a city. It's vain to work and worry yourself to death. It could be that Solomon did write this because in Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses this terminology over and over again. He says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's all pointless. It's all futile. And that's the truth. Living life without God is pointless. It's futile. It's vain. And maybe, just maybe, someone here has been trying to uh, build your house or secure your future or whatever the case might be. Maybe you've been trying to do this without the Lord. And just take it from Solomon. It's vain. And remember, Solomon was the wealthiest person to ever live. 
Uh, he was the wisest man, except for when he walked away from the Lord. Uh, but he had all of this wisdom. And, you know, as he went out and, and tried to find fulfillment and all of that, he talks about going everywhere. Everything under the sun. You know, he, he decided he wanted to be the smartest guy, so he became the smartest guy. He decided he wanted to be the richest guy, so he became the richest guy. He decided he wanted to be the most famous, so he became the most famous. You know, he, he had the ability to do all these things. But then at the end of it all, he says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And then his conclusion is this. This is it. This is the sum total of the matter. Fear God and keep his word. That's the sum total of the matter. Because he went on to say, because there's coming a day when God's going to call everyone to account for their lives. And so if somehow you've, you've drifted and you're in that place where you're working and worrying yourself to death, you're not trusting the Lord, your priorities are completely out of whack, it's time to turn back to the Lord. Let him build your house. He knows how to build a house. Let him give you that security. He knows how to secure you. He knows how to take care of you. So Lord, we thank you that these great truths that saints have pondered and built their lives on for millennia. We thank you that these great truths are ours today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to just fully embrace your word. Your word to us, Lord, that our prosperity and our security are all tied to our trust in you. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. And Lord, if there is anyone today that's drifted away, I pray that you would bring them back to that place. And Lord, if there's a single person today who's with us, who's never made a commitment of their life to Jesus, Lord, would you draw them to yourself? We pray.